right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the Gospel of John. Now, the last time we left off, we were in chapter 13, and we saw three primary things, and that was the feet washing that Jesus performed on his disciples to teach humility and service. And then we saw the revelation of Jesus' betrayer, that is, Judas Iscariot, and finally, Jesus predicted Peter's denial of him. But in the whole interim of all of these things, what we want to remember is this is the final Passover of the Lord Jesus. Some people refer to it as the Last Supper, not a proper name for it, but it is the final Passover celebration to the which that Jesus would give his own life as the true Lamb of God who will die for the sins of the world. And in all of this, the environment for the disciples becomes uh, almost somewhat of a depressive or a sad environment. You know, Jesus has just predicted what all along he's been predicting ever since, as we recall, when Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And who do you, that is my disciples, say that I am? And it was Peter who said that you are the Christ the son of the living God. And it was at that point forward that Jesus would begin to reveal how he would have to go to Jerusalem, suffer and die at the hands of the chief priests and elders of the people. So Jesus has, this has been really building up to a crescendo of Jesus speaking about his death. And so now, even in real time, Jesus just said to them that he's going to be betrayed by one of the inner circles, one of the closest ones to him, one of the 12, we know Judas, and then how that Peter himself would deny him. And even if we looked at other gospels, say, for instance, Luke chapter 22, when Jesus would speak about how Satan desires to sift them like wheat. But anyway, <laughs> It becomes somewhat of a sad environment as Jesus keeps speaking about his upcoming departure. And it's with this background in mind, this sadness and the idea that Jesus. Now, the disciples are not really understanding Jesus's uh, upcoming crucifixion. That part they're not relating, but of his departing from them. They have understood that even though they don't really understand what it means, they do understand that Jesus is leaving and this has brought about a certain degree of sadness. And so it is with that we continue on into chapter 14 as Jesus begins now to encourage his disciples about his upcoming departure. Okay, and we're going to try to see if we can get through all of chapter 14 in just one video teaching. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Okay, and so now, as we were saying to you earlier, how the situation, the environment of the disciples, but Jesus speaking of his departure has brought sadness to them. Jesus encourages them and simply says, don't let your heart be troubled as you have faith in God. And this part, he's going to actually revisit again when he talks about the peace of Christ that he gives to his people. But nevertheless, as they believe in God, as you hold fast to God, 
hold fast also in me. And now we already know, especially if you've been following me in the gospel of John, how the very nature, the theme of John's gospel is the divine nature of Jesus. That is Jesus is God. And also, if you've been following me, you've been hearing Jesus speak in the language of oneness with the father or equality with the father and all of this. So we can kind of see this same thing being uh, spoken of here. Belief in God, the father, as you believe in him in the same manner, what? Believe also in me. Now, even though these are words of encouragement, he speaks of the encouragement that comes from a settled belief in the father. Let that encouragement comes from that settled belief of the father that you have also be the same kind of encouragement that comes because you have what? And I am commit. And actually here it is verb in the imperative sense. That is, it is an, it is a command of Jesus. Let that be the same encouragement that you have because of me, because of who I am and all along, whatever we've been saying about Jesus in this particular case here, that he is God in the flesh. He is the son of God. And then he begins to say, his departure is not simply a departure to leave them, but it is a, continu a continuation of his ministry. And what does he say? He returns to the father's house to prepare a place for them. He says there are many rooms in the father's house and in the father's house that is in the abode of heaven itself. In that he's going to prepare a place for his people so that wherever Jesus is, his people will be there with him. Now, it is in verse number three that we see the witness of scripture to the rapture, that is pre-tribulation rapture. And I don't want to get into all of the details and what that means, except to say this. Before the tribulation, that is the, the final seven years of judgment, before that time comes, judgment upon the world. We see this in the book of Revelation, chapters 4 through 19, all of those chapters in there that deals with the seven years of tribulation. This is the same thing that was spoken of by Daniel in chapter 9. But nevertheless, pre-trib, before the tribulation, the rapture of the church will take place. That is what Paul talked, talked about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 when he said, that the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive shall be changed and caught up into heaven and forever we will be with the Lord. This is the rapture of the church. Okay. And so what Jesus is saying in verse number three is when he, he says he's going to prepare a place. Why? And I will come again and receive you to myself. And that is the point. So, and where, how do we know that this speaks of the rapture of the church and this speaks of a pre-tribulation rapture? Notice what Jesus says. He is preparing a place in heaven, in heaven for his people and that he will come back again for his people and receive them unto himself and they will, the idea is occupy these rooms that Jesus has prepared. 
How do notice? And all of this is to take place in heaven. And this is why we believe this is pre-tribulation. That is the, the rapture occurs before the tribulation. Why? Because when Jesus returns in the second advent, notice what I said. The second advent is the return of Jesus Christ in bodily form to sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem where Israel will be restored the world. Jesus will restore the world and he will rule over all the nations of the world from Jerusalem. This is the second advent and this is the kingdom of Christ or the kingdom of the Messiah, which according to Revelations chapter 20 will last for 1000 years. And so it is during this time. Now notice this is when the Lord returns with his saints. According to Jude, the Lord returns with his saints. And in this time, the saints return to the earth. So what does John uh, 14 and three say? The saints will be residing in heaven in the father's house. So what am I trying to say to get you an understanding? John 14 and three is the statement of the rapture of the church. Jesus is promised that he will return that number one, he goes into heaven. This is what Jesus does when he ascends to heaven. When he ascended into heaven, he began preparing a place for his people. Now, of course, he's also sitting at the right hand of God, interceding high priestly prayer, interceding on behalf of his people. But he is also, as stated here, prepared a place for his people that once he returns to come and get them, they can be back with him in heaven. So there is what? A coming down from heaven, from Jesus to receive his people, a returning back to heaven with his people. This is the rapture. The second advent is the return of Jesus with his people to the earth. Okay. So there is a difference. So the idea is Jesus is here promising the return to receive his people and bring them back with him into prepared places in heaven with the father. And he gives this statement as encouragement to his disciples that one day, even though he has left them, he will come back to get them again because the desire of the Lord is to have his people with him forever. All right. Verse four. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do you, how do we know the way Jesus said to him? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, but through me. And so now Jesus, we go here. Jesus tells them, you know, the way that I am going, that is, he is going to the father and the way that Jesus has been teaching them all alone, all alone is that he is the way unto the father, that faith in him alone will allow a person to be, to gain eternal life to be brought into eternal presence with the father. So he says to them, you know the way, but 
Philip here, as you say, I'm sorry, Thomas here. Thomas is somewhat confused and Thomas is thinking in a somewhat of an earthly manner. Say, we don't know where you're going. And Jesus kept telling him he is going back to the father. But Thomas still said, we don't know where you're going. So how do we know the way to go? And Jesus simply said, number one, you do know where I'm going because I kept telling you I'm returning back to the father. And I have already told you, you know, the way why, because I've told you what verse number six. And what I want you to understand is the exclusive language of verse number six. When Jesus spoke to Thomas, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Now notice I said the exclusive language. And the reason why we say exclusive is because the definite article is being used here when Jesus says, I am the way. He says, Ego e me, he hadas, ke he aletia, ka he zoe. Each time when he spoke of the way, the truth, the life, he was saying that there is no other. There is no other what? Way unto God. I alone am the way unto God. That is faith in me as both God and man. That is the way unto God to believe that God has taken flesh and in that human flesh, he has voluntarily offered it as a sacrifice for sin on the cross. And of course, the inclusion of what the resurrection of the dead I am that way and I am the truth of God. I am the only truth of God. There is no other truths that a person can believe in order to enter into the presence of God. There is no other truth in another religion. There is no other truth in any other form of doctrine that alienates the person of Jesus, that denies the divinity and the person of Jesus. That is the truth of God. And then I am the life in Jesus and Jesus alone is the life that we seek is the eternal life that we desire and that we can have in the presence of the father. So Jesus makes an exclusive statement and he simply says unto Thomas, number one, I am going to the father and you know this. And when Thomas simply says that we don't know where you're going and so how can we know the way? Jesus simply clarifies to him that which he has been preaching all alone. I alone. And that's why I say it is the exclusive language. Why? Because of the definite article, the not I am a way and there are other ways, not I am a truth and there are other truths and not that I am a life and there is another form of life. No exclusive language. The way, only way, the truth, only truth, the life, only life. And Jesus makes that statement that he is that only one. No other way, no other religion, no other religion. You cannot be a good Buddhist and enter into the kingdom of heaven. You cannot be a good, uh, 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 what is it? Islam, a practice pract practitioner of Islam and enter into the kingdom of heaven. No other religion 
Only faith in Jesus alone allows a person to enter into the kingdom of heaven and the content, the content of that faith is to believe in the person. Jesus is God and Jesus is man and the works of Jesus that he gave his life for sin and rose again after the third day. Only this can provide salvation unto life. Okay, but anyway, enough of that. I preached enough on that. So he continues on verse number seven. If you had known me, you would have known my father also from now on. Oh, oh let me take a pause here. No one comes unto the father except by me. There is no other way unto God except through Jesus. If you do not receive Jesus, Heaven you will never see, period. Now, let's continue. Seven, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me, has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the father and the father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Okay, now let's talk about this because it can get a little thick. So let me take my time and, and work through this. Okay, so Jesus continues on and says, now you have a fuller knowledge of the father. But now you have known me and in knowing me, you know who the father. And when Jesus speaks of the now, what he's dealing with is from the time of the cross and forward from the time of the cross and forward. You see when I mean by forward, it means from the time of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, his ascension into heaven and the coming of the Holy spirit, because this is what Jesus is going to talk about a great deal, especially in chapters 15 and 16, the coming of the Holy, And even in this chapter, the coming of the Holy spirit, who will enlighten Jesus's disciples and give them the understanding that God desires for them to have. He'll give them the fuller revelation of just who Jesus is and the words. He'll make them understand the teachings and preachings of Jesus with much greater clarity. All right. But nevertheless, so Jesus continues on, talks about the knowledge of himself. You have known me and therefore you have knowledge of the father. And so therefore in knowing Jesus, you have seen the father. And now Jesus says in verse number seven, you have seen him. Now the language that Jesus is using is a type of metaphorical language. Jesus is not so much as saying seeing me is seeing the father or Jesus is not so much as saying you are seeing, you are seeing some type of physical expression of God, the father. You are seeing God being, being manifest physically somehow in such a way 
that your eyes can behold him. That is not what Jesus is trying to say, but nevertheless, it was the confusion of Thomas because notice what Thomas says. He says, I'm sorry, Philip, I'm just getting the name so confused. Philip, what does Philip say? Lord, show us the father. Show us God the Father, and that would be great. That would suffice. That would be sufficient for us, and we'll we indeed believe everything that you say. If you can do that, will you show us the Father, and that satisfies us? And Jesus gives him a sort of a rebuke, and he says to him, "Have I been with you so long? Have you not seen me, heard me, watched me?" Theoreo, that's that Greek word which means to observe with intent, to look at and, and, and observe and, and, and begin to look with discernment. <laughs> have you not looked at me and all that I have said and all that I have done in your very eyes and still you have not understood? You have not understood what? To see me is to see the father. Now what Jesus is not doing, he is not equating. He is not saying that he is the father. Jesus has always maintained a distinction between himself and the father. That's why he would always refer to God as my father. Okay. There is always a distinction between the two persons in the Godhead. We know there are totally three persons, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit, all coming to make the one being of God, the one Yahweh, Yod, Hey, Wow, Hey, the Lord that we see in the old Testament in all caps. But nevertheless, Jesus is not saying he is the father, but what Jesus is saying is he is the perfect expression of the father in every way. He is an exact mirror of the person of the father in what the father would say in what father would do. All you have to do if is if you wanted to know about God, the father, what he would say, what he would do, how does he think? The answer is look at Jesus. What does Jesus say? What does Jesus do? And how does Jesus respond? This is the exact response of the father, because notice what you see Jesus saying all throughout his ministry, that he has not come of his own will. He has not spoken of his own initiative. He has not acted on his own. All the things that he has done, it is because it is in keeping the will of the father. So therefore, Jesus is the exact expression of God, the father. But this we see that Philip did not understand because Philip was desiring to see a physical manifestation of the father. And Jesus is simply saying, I am that expression of the father in myself. Notice again, as he talks about in verse number 10, he now deals with the beauty. Look at the beauty of that verse. Do you, do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? Again, these are statements of what the oneness, the oneness between the father, or should I even say the oneness of the father 
and the son. And in having that oneness, notice what it automatically expresses clearly. It expresses the divine nature. You cannot have an absolute oneness with God without having the very being of God, without being in the being of God. So therefore, Jesus, in this wonderful declaration, simply says that he and the Father, once again, as he said, said the same thing earlier, are one. This clearly expresses the divine nature of Jesus. I and the Father and the Father in me. And then he begins to say, and this you should have understood by what? By the words that he has been saying to him. Notice what he says. The words that I say to you, I don't speak of my initiative, but the father abiding in me does the works. Let me slow that part down because that's a beautiful way that Jesus brought these things together. Notice he says, the words that I have been speaking to you, I have been declaring to you of my oneness with the father. I have been declaring to you that I am God. And we already know there is just one God, but nevertheless, Jesus letting us the teaching furtherance of the new Testament doctrinal teachings, the God in three persons. And he is a member of the divine being. And so what? I am in the father. These things I have told you. And if there was any trouble with it, notice what he says at the very end, the father abiding in me again, son in the father, father in the son, the oneness. But notice how he moves to the sense of the father abiding in me does the works. But notice he was talking about what the words I say. Then he began to say, the father does the works or even, even so his works. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Though even the works, the, that means the miracles that Jesus was performing. He's noticed. He said, they weren't my miracles. They were the father's miracles. And the father was, was doing these miracles. Why? Because he was abiding in me. But even more so, here's what I'm trying to bring the relationship with. Jesus was saying the words he speaks come from the father. Notice how he translates words to works. What I mean by translate here is simply to say this. If you do not believe me, if you don't believe all that I have been saying about myself and the very nature of it is, remember, what does uh, Philip want to see? God. Jesus has been saying he is God by his words. But even if you have difficulty in accepting what Jesus has been saying about himself, he is divine by his words, then look at the works. And he is saying what these very works, these miraculous things that I have been doing, it is not me who has been literally doing these things, but it is the father who has, who lives in me. He does these things to attest to what I have been saying. The father is doing these works in me to prove to you guys that what I am saying about myself, what I want to see God, that I am God. Jesus is saying the father is doing these works so that you might believe my words, my testimony, what I am saying about myself. Okay. And so therefore he just simply says in verse number 11. So if you got a hard time, 
So believe me, I am in the father and the father in me believe of his oneness in God. So if you have a problem in believing what he has spoken of in words, then consider what he has done. And remember the gospel of John, the seven signs, the seven miracles that John has chosen to record in his gospel is simply to indicate that Jesus has done the things that only God can do. And so what do we see at the very end here? If you don't believe me for what I have spoken, then at least consider the works that I have done in my father's name and let them convince you that what I'm saying to you is the truth. Okay, let's continue. 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also and greater works than these he will do because I go to the father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the father may be glorified in the son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Okay. So notice he continues to say, and now notice again, truly, truly. And as we've been talking about in the gospel of John, always watch the truly, truly, because Jesus is saying something. He wants us to pay close attention to something emphatic. What? He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also and even greater works he will do because I go to the father. That is, since Jesus is going back to heaven to the father, he will allow his work, his, his works of signs. Remember the whole idea of the signs. The signs of Jesus was simply to prove that he is who he says that he is. Son of God, God, son of man, Christ, man, okay, that he is the savior of the world. This is the gospel itself, all right? So these signs were to prove that Jesus was who he is. Jesus is saying here, these continuing signs will be performed by those who believe in Jesus, he who believes in me. Do you believe? Remember, what is the whole believing in me? What has uh, uh, Philip been asking? He wants to see God. What is the very context of everything that we've been saying? Jesus is God. Jesus is one with the Father. I am the Father, the Father in me. If you don't believe me for what I say, believe me for the works that the Father, his works, he does in me and even through me. The whole idea, Jesus is God. And to those who truly believe this, they will be able to do mighty works in Jesus's name. They will continue the work. They will continue the spreading of the gospel by performing signs and wonders. And that's what it means. And this is done through the hands of apostles. Okay, back here. Now, let me, let me take it back because there are a number of things that are in my mind that I need to talk about and I don't want to run through it. So now let's go back to the verse so we won't miss things that are important. Stuff that people have made a lot of error about. Okay. He who believes in me, what I, the works that I do, he will do also. Now this speaks of the great works and the miraculous works. Once again, these miraculous works were done to do two things, to convince people that Jesus was the Messiah and 
to solidify their faith. And when I say the Messiah, I'm also incorporating in that statement, God in the flesh and the Christ who died for our sins rose from the dead. So I'm incorporating all of that by saying that. So the signs were done so that people would believe these things. Okay. So Jesus simply saying that those who believe in him will continue to perform many great signs. Now, let me deal with this. First of all, those who do the signs, the signs that, that the, those who did the signs, it is not speaking of every simple believer. Here, we have to be very careful because I, I've heard so many people say it this way. And I've heard a lot of preachers, whether knowingly or ignorantly, without understanding, preach. And they would say things like this. What you see done in the New Testament, in the Gospels by Jesus and in the book of Acts, we, the church, can do the same things today. Why? And they'll sometimes reference this verse because Jesus says, the things that I did, you would do greater things and even more so because I'm going to the father. I'm not here to do them anymore. I'm going to the father, but you, my church will be able to do them. And that is a false doctrine, false teaching. A, a, this is a bad misunderstanding. Jesus is not speaking to all of the church. Jesus is not speaking to each and every one of us, but more so Jesus is speaking to his apostles. Why do you say that? Because notice once you get into the book of Acts, now this is what we call the apostolic age. The apostolic age is this, the time when you see after Jesus has uh, died, resurrected, ascended into heaven, this Holy Spirit has come upon the church and the apostles are continuing the ministry of Jesus, we see signs and wonders done only by the hands of the apostles or by apostolic legates. Okay, this is a teaching within itself, but, I, so, but let me just simply make it short. In a nutshell, when you go into the book of Acts, and you see the continuing works of the apostles. See, Jesus is working through his apostles, through his apostles, by them being filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice what you'll see if you study carefully the book of Acts. The mighty works of miracles, signs, and wonders were done at the hands of the apostles. They were not done at the hands of all Christians. Notice you get in the book of Acts, Peter and John going to the temple to worship there. There's a man, Peter fastened his eyes upon the man, silver and gold have I none such as I have, I give unto you in the name of Jesus. Okay. Peter and John, who are they? They are apostles of Jesus. All right. And when we say apostles, we use this in the strict sense. People try to say they're apostles today. There are no apostles today. In order to be an apostle, you would have to see Jesus Christ in bodily form after he resurrected from the dead. Jesus no longer appears to anyone in bodily form after his resurrection from the dead. The only one he did that for 
is Paul. And this is why Paul understood that he was called to be an apostle. But nevertheless, in Acts, what do you see? The signs and wonders done by the apostles. What did Paul himself say? I believe it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I believe. Don't hold me too tight to it. When Paul himself said concerning his defense of his apostleship, were not the works, the signs of an apostle done by me. That is the signs and wonders that only an apostle can do. I'm saying all of this to say the statement when Jesus says greater works that I have done, you will also do. This does not apply to every member in the body of Christ. This applies only to the apostles or legates of an apostle. Legates means someone who has been sent by an apostle, someone who has been authorized by an apostle. Okay. So since all of the apostles are dead, so no more, there are no more signs and wonders to be done. And since all of the apostles are dead, there are no longer those who have been directly sent legates sent by apostles. Okay. So when Jesus makes the statement, so let's get through this works that I have done works what you will do. He is not speaking to every member of the church. Who's simply to say, if you have enough faith, you can do what Jesus did wrong. This statement is more uh, specific and narrow in the sense he is speaking to the apostles and notice when you get to, okay, let me give you an example. In the book of Acts, you have the death of a woman by the name of Tabitha. They also called her Dorcas. And this woman was a member of the church. And when she died, a number of the saints began to grieve much for this woman. I think this is Acts, what is it, Acts chapter 9, something of that nature. They began to grieve for Tabitha or Dorcas. And in the, their grieving for her, uh, 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 the woman had died. What did they do? They sent and called for Peter and Peter having come in, prayed for Dorcas. And in that prayer, Jesus resurrected her from the dead. But now note, here's the point that I'm trying to make. This was a great miracle that Peter had just performed. But what? When the woman had died, the saints were already present. If the saints could have the power to do the miracles of Jesus, why didn't they just raise her from the dead? Why send for Peter if you can do it for yourself? If Jesus gave this power to the church as a whole, they didn't need to call for Peter. They could pray for Dorcas herself. But nevertheless, guess what they knew they needed to do? Send for Peter, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who is even present right here as Jesus is speaking these words. Okay, so we settled that case. What Jesus is speaking is not unto everybody, but certain ones, the apostles, legacy of the apostle. And we see signs and wonders in this manner ended, ended. It came to an end with the death of the apostles. All right. Then he said in this verse, they would be able to do greater miracles. Now, the greater miracles does not mean greater in stature or that nature. It just simply means that, okay, there was one Jesus. And so Jesus did things, one, and he did a lot of it. But there are what? At least 12 apostles, right? And Paul would make 
13 of them. All right. So there were at least 13 apostolic men that Jesus would perform. So therefore in number, in number, they could do a greater number because you have simply greater persons. All right. All right. Now let's go back to the text. And Jesus simply says, all of this is to be done to the glory of God, the father. Notice that the father may be glorified. And again, what does Jesus not lose sight of that the father may be glorified? How? In the son. Once again, Jesus keeps the idea of what? His oneness with God. What did he just say? I am in the father and what? The father is in me. And what happens? You will be able to do these things in believing who I am, that I am in the father, that I am God in the father, sharing a oneness with God. You'll be able to do these things. Why? Because it glorifies the father. And guess what? It also brings glory to the son. There is the continual idea of oneness. Oneness in person, oneness in purpose, and even a oneness in the glory that is to be given in all of these things. Okay. And then he simply says what? And if you ask, now notice verse number 14, Jesus has already been saying he, he will return to the father. He's been ta talking about that. He's returning back to heaven, to the father. Okay. He has also been talking about what? His oneness with the father. Again, relating to his divine nature, that he is God. Notice how this is even uh, 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 beautifully stated when he says in verse 15, if, if you, 14, I'm sorry. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. You see, Jesus is gone. He understands. He's speaking that I'll be gone at that time. Notice, speaking of a prayer. That's why we understand normally the normal case of prayer. And I don't want to spend a lot of time with this, but when we normally pray, we pray unto God. What did they say? Lord Jesus disciples teach us to pray. Jesus says, when you pray, say our father, normally our prayers are directed to God, the father. Okay. However, it is not wrong. It is not sinful to pray to Jesus. Notice the whole idea of what he's been saying here. I am God. I am one with God. And notice here, Jesus has been saying what? I am going back to the father. And notice again, Jesus is saying what? You, those who believe in me, what I said that I am, I am God. You will be able to do the miraculous works that I did. It glorifies the father. It glorifies me. And notice again, Jesus says what? I am back into heaven with the father. And if you ask, notice, if you ask me, that's what I'm trying to get you to see. Notice here, the prayer is being directed to Jesus. If you ask me, me, what? Anything, what? In my name, in my name. The idea of in my name simply means according to my will, according to what I will have to be done, okay? According to the authority that I have, according to who I am. If you ask me anything in my name, notice what he says, I will do it. I cannot emphasize that enough. Notice who is receiving prayer, receiving prayer. Jesus is receiving prayer. 
If you ask me when I'm gone in my name and what notice who is answering the prayer, Jesus says, I will be the one to do it. And even the context here, the explicit context here is what? Doing miraculous works, doing miraculous works. And we see this in a similar way, like Jesus did in what the John chapter nine, when he came to the grave of Lazarus. Father, the reason why I'm saying these things, the reason why I am doing these things so that they will believe that you sent me. What I've been saying about myself is the truth. This is why. And we say the same thing in the name of Jesus, by the authority that Jesus is God. He is the son of God made flesh. He is God almighty, able to do all things, who knows all things and upholds all things by the word of his power, that Jesus. And he says, when you make that appeal to me, I will answer that. Now, this has a generic form as well. So coming down, generic form is that any of God's people can pray in Jesus name and he will do it. However, however, specifically the apostles will have that prayer that can deal with signs and wonders. Okay. But all of God's people can pray unto the Lord Jesus and Jesus will answer prayer. Amen. All right. 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Okay, now let's talk about it. So verse number 15, Jesus sets the predicate for our obedience. That is, we do not obey Jesus to be saved. We do not obey Jesus to get saved. We obey Jesus because we already have been saved and to show appreciation to uh, the, 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 our expression of appreciation for Jesus in saving us in coming into the flesh, suffering at the hand of his own people and the Romans and ultimately being crucified, resurrecting from the dead and dying for us. Our expression of gratitude for Jesus is love. And so therefore Jesus simply says, what? If you love me, you keep my commandments. So we see that the keeping of the commandments of Christ is not to get saved, it is an expression of love. And if you don't love Jesus, how in the world can you even say that you are saved? Okay, so that's the point I want to bring home there. Our obedience to Jesus is born of a love for Jesus, not so we can get saved. All right. But Jesus continues on because notice now he talks about our obedience. But guess what? 
When it comes to obedience, you know what Paul the Apostle said? For all have sinned and fall short of the grace of God. Now, this is dealing with obedience. And when Paul says fall short of the grace of God, without getting into a lot of Greek grammar, that verb is a present tense verb, is a present tense verb form. And what do I mean? By present tense, he, he means this. All have sinned, past tense, and continue to sin. There is a difference in living in sin. What did I say? Living in sin, the practice of sin, having a sinful lifestyle. And we see John talking about this even more so in his epistles, but we're not going there. But when we start to deal with the keeping of the commandments of Christ, who can say that they have perfectly kept the commandments of Jesus since the day of their confession, since their belief in Christ, since Jesus saved you? Who amongst us can say, and you know what? My obedience with Jesus is perfect. And any man or woman who would dare make an arrogant statement like that is a liar. And the truth is not in him or her. Why? The scripture itself says we continue to fall short of the grace of God. So, but notice here, we still say what? We have, we, I love you, Lord Jesus. And then Jesus says, and if you do keep my commandments right then and there, it should begin to hurt. Why should it hurt? Because the first thing that we are forced to acknowledge is I haven't. There have been times I have gone astray. There have been times that I went beyond the commandments of God. There have been times I did not keep the commandments of God. There have been times when I heard the Holy Spirit inside of me saying, stop, go no further. Stop, go no further. And I did. And I had need of repentance. I did not keep your commandments. And that's why we see Jesus continue to say in verse number 16, what I have given you the command, given you, uh, uh, the command to keep my commandments, but you can't keep them of yourself. So guess what I'm going to do? I am going to ask the father to send you a paracletos, a helper along paracletos is the Greek word that is used for helper. I'm going to send you a helper to, to the which Jesus says is the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit who enables us to keep the commandments of, heart, of God. By our own strength, we cannot. All we can do is supply. All we can do is supply some semblance, slight semblance of will to keep the commandments of God. And even that is not perfect. You got it? Okay. What do I mean when I say that? You can say, okay, I'm going to keep, do what Jesus says. I want to do what Jesus says. And you can say, and you can really and truly mean that. But no matter how much you mean that, and no matter what so-called determination you might have to do that, apart from the help of the Holy Spirit, you will fail. That's why the Bible continues to wander. Take heed in thinking that you stand. What? Lest you fall. Again, what? that's Paul in Corinthians. And then Jude, what does Jude say about Jesus? 
Now unto him who is able to keep us from falling. And what does Peter say about God? It is he who has given us the divine nature that enables us to do all the things that is pleasing unto God. Even though we can will it. And even again, what does Paul say? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You work it out. That responsibility is yours. But keep reading, keep reading. Knowing, knowing what? That it is God who is at will in you to work out his will and to accomplish the pleasure of his will. It is God who is doing these things from the inside of you. All I'm saying is this. We can offer up some semblance, slight will to be obedient to Christ Jesus. But unless the Holy Spirit enables us to do these things, we will fail every time. And so what does Jesus say? He says, for this reason, I am going to send a helper, someone to help you keep my commandments from the father. And then what does he say concerning the Holy Spirit? He will abide with you. He will remain with God's people forever. He is called the spirit of truth, the spirit of revelation, the spirit who will make you understand the things that I have been teaching you while I was with you. The spirit who will open your heart to understand in greater depths. This notice when it's the spirit, because you got to remember after the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, ascension into heaven, then comes the Holy Spirit. Then comes this great enlightenment. And this is why we understand that even the apostles truly did not understand the words of Jesus. They didn't get it all until after the Holy Spirit had come upon them. And then they truly understood the person of Jesus. He indeed is God almighty. They, in, they understood the words, the teachings that Jesus had given. They understood it clearly then when the Holy Spirit had come upon them. And this is when Jesus said, this is the spirit of truth. And concerning the Holy Spirit, there is, this, there is this distinction. What distinction? The Spirit is not for unbelievers. The Spirit does not come to the world except to condemn and convict the world. The Spirit does not come to the world for their aid in this sense. Notice, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. That is to see God or know God, but you know God and he abides with you, even the Holy Spirit. Now, let me deal with this part. But you know him, that is the Holy Spirit. You know of the workings of the Holy Spirit, for it is by, what did Peter say, I believe it's Acts 10 and 38, how God, by giving Jesus the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, did magnificent works. You know the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he abides with you. Now, let me deal with that. Number one, Jesus is promising the coming of the Holy Spirit. That is in the future. We know after the ascension of Jesus, the Holy Spirit will open their minds and hearts to understand the truth of the person of Jesus and the depth of the words that Jesus spoke to them when he taught them. Then he simply says, but the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit because the world does not know. They are not aware of the spirit, but God's people 
are aware of the Holy Spirit for the Holy Spirit was with them. Now, here's where I am now. The Holy, he abides with you. Now, you have to understand that statement in the time language that Jesus is speaking. So right then, as Jesus was speaking to his disciples, he was saying that the Holy Spirit abided with them, abided with them. That is, before the ascent, before the coming of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, okay, the Holy Spirit did not indwell God's people. He abided alongside of God's people, only alongside of God's people. The only time the Holy Spirit would indwell a person is normally a, when the Holy would be normally on a temporary basis. That is a prophet. Whenever a prophet would be energized by the Holy Spirit to speak, thus saith the Lord, the Holy Spirit will enter into that prophet. Once the Holy Spirit is finished with that prophet to speak with the Lord or do whatever work that God would have that prophet to do, the Holy Spirit then would leave the prophet and dwell alongside of the prophet as he would dwell alongside of all of God's people. Another example, the Holy Spirit would indwell the kings, that is the kings of Israel, the kings that were appointed by God himself. All right. And this is why David prayed at Psalm 51, do not take your spirit away from me. Do not take your spirit away from me. And the Holy Spirit came upon the kings of Israel so that they could do mighty works that God would have them to do. So the point is, the Holy Spirit abided with God's people in past times. And even in the time of Jesus with his disciples, the Holy Spirit dwelt alongside of them, aside of them, except for those exceptions that I just gave you with the prophets and the kings and the temporary basis of those things. However, Jesus is speaking of a future act of the Holy Spirit. Notice what he says. He abides with you and future tense will be in you, in you. That is in the book of Acts with the coming of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit no longer simply dwelled alongside of God's people. The Holy Spirit dwells within God's people. Every single member is indwelled with the Holy Spirit of God. And it is for this reason that Jesus says concerning John the Baptist. Notice what he says, how John the Baptist was the greatest prophet of all in his age, in his age, what age? The age in which the Holy Spirit dwelt alongside of God's people. But notice what Jesus says, but the least in the kingdom, that is the church. Remember the kingdom, the new kingdom is the church of Jesus, the church that the spirit will come to Acts chapter two, the least in the kingdom will be greater than John the Baptist, the least person. Why? Because the Holy Spirit will not dwell alongside of the very least one in the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit will do a marvelous thing and literally dwell inside of us. 
speak to us from within, talk to us from within, not without, from within, commune with us from within, the person of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit will take up their abode and dwell on the inside of every single solitary believer. And this is a magnificent and marvelous, gracious gift of God. Okay, enough of that, enough of that. And so in saying all of that, notice verse number 18, I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. Remember the atmosphere? Jesus has been saying what? I'm going away. And you guys are about to fall into depression because you hear me saying that I'm leaving you. All right. But guess what? I'm not going to leave you by yourself. And this is how verse number 18 comes in, because it speaks of the coming of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do by the abiding, abiding, continually staying within, indwelling inside, abiding, indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit? We have the presence of Jesus himself, even though bodily he has left us in the spirit through the Holy Spirit. He is still with us. I will not leave you orphans. You know how a parent dies and what happens? The parent is gone and now the child is just an orphan without a parent. Jesus is saying no way on earth. Will I ever leave you and abandon you in this way? I will come to you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus is not saying he is the Holy Spirit, but by the giving of the Holy Spirit, we will realize the presence of Jesus with us as well. Okay. Now, I will come to you. All right. Now that I will come to you kind of is almost like a bridge in a sense into what Jesus is about to say next. Verse number 19, let's talk about 19 and 20. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. Okay, that's beautiful, isn't it? So what does it say? Remember I talked about that transition, I will come to you. So now watch how it transitions. After a little while, the world will no longer see me. And what Jesus is speaking of is, once Jesus is crucified, so think about it. Once Jesus is crucified, buried, nobody in the world that is unbelievers. The unbelievers never saw Jesus again. They didn't see, only Jesus only made himself manifest to believers. The men that were walking on the Emmaus road to the apostles at a number of occasions while they were in the house and to the women who came to the tomb, only to believers. The world after Jesus's resurrection never saw him. But notice what it says. But you will see me. That is, after Jesus's resurrection, there were a number of select believers. Notice what I said. Select believers who did see Jesus. And as Jesus speaks of his resurrection, because I live, you got it? As I have defeated death, he also gives us life. You will live also. Jesus defeats death 
on our behalf. So his death and resurrection brings life for us as well. Then he says, and in that day, you will know what in that day you will have a specific knowledge. First of all, what is the day he's talking about in the day of his resurrection? Remember what he said? I'm going to leave. World ain't going to see me no more, but you'll see me. Why? Because I'm going to come back to you. The resurrection from the dead. When he resurrects from the dead in that day, it will be the proof. What? That I am in the father and the father is in me. Notice what does, as we have already established and already dealt with the statement of I am in the father and the father is in me. What does it mean? It speaks of Jesus divine nature, that he is God, that he has a oneness with God, the father. And in order to share this absolute and notice what I said, what? absolute oneness with the father to share in the being of Yahweh to being of God, the father and his whole point that he's been constantly saying the whole theme that John has been constantly trying to say, Jesus is God. Jesus is God, right? In that day, what day when Jesus resurrects from the dead, you will know indeed he is not simply a man, he is the almighty God, one who has taken his life back from the dead. Okay. And this also is a teaching from the apostle Paul in the book of Romans. When Paul teaches about how Jesus showed his divine nature, that is that he is God. How did he show this thing? How did he prove this thing? Through his resurrection from the dead. All right. And this is what he is saying here. You will know indeed by my resurrection, I am God and also to what that I will not leave you that I will forever be with you that I am also in you not that you are God that you can be God we are not God we can never be God we will never be God but we are here what is his whole point that he's making don't be sad one I'm going to prepare a place for you Two, so I'm coming back for you. And in the meantime, while I'm gone, what? I'm going to send the spirit and the spirit will be with you and the spirit will comfort you and he will dwell alongside of you. And by the indwelling presence of the spirit, he will manifest my presence with you as well. Okay. Anyway. All right, let's go. 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words and the words which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name. He will teach you 
all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Okay, now that's quite a chunk. So let's break it down. It's not difficult, but you have to watch how Jesus spoke. All right. So what happens? He goes back. Remember what he said earlier. If you love me, keep my commandments. So still, so we're branching on down from that. He who has my commandments keeps them. So it is an, it's not enough to know the commandments of the Lord. It is necessary to do what? To keep the commandments of the Lord. Why? Because the evidence that you truly love Jesus is not the knowledge of the Bible that you have, but how you obey the scriptures that you understand. He who loves me keeps my commandments. Okay. And then he simply says this again. Notice you cannot escape that how Jesus is speaking of his divine nature, that he is God, because he keeps speaking of the oneness that he has with the father. Notice in obedience to Jesus, what he'll be loved by my father. He'll be loved. You obey my son and I love you. That oneness that the son has with the father. And Jesus says, well, and I too will love him, the one who obeys him and will disclose myself to him. And now that's where something, it gets a little uh, hairy here and I will disclose myself. I will appear to him. Notice the idea of what Jesus has been saying. I'm going away, right? I'm going back to the father. And this is the mindset that we that Judas is having here. Judas is having a, a earthly mindset because if Jesus is gone and the world, he just said what the world will not see him. But he is now speaking of making a special disclosure of himself to us, but not to the world. So Judas begins to say, okay, I'm kind of confused, Lord Jesus. And this is Judas, not as scared, because what you have to remember, Judas Iscariot, the one that's betraying Jesus, has already left the Passover table on his way to the chief priest in order to obtain the soldiers to betray Jesus. So Judas Iscariot is not here. This is another Judas, probably one of the disciples by the name of Thaddeus. But anyway, so he, he's a little confused. And so what does he say? He says, Lord, what unique thing has happened so that you are now able to show yourself to us in a way that the world won't be able to see you, but we will be able to see you. See, he's thinking carnally. He's thinking fleshly that Jesus is going to show himself physically in such a way that only his disciples will see him, but the rest of the world will not see them. Again, it takes us back early when Jesus says, what have I been with you so long? that you don't understand to see me is to see the father. Jesus was not speaking physically then and neither is he speaking physically now. The disclosure that Jesus will give to the disciples is the disclosure of himself through revelation. By the Holy Spirit's indwelling of his people, the Holy Spirit will give his people a unique understanding of the person of Jesus and the words of Jesus. This is the disclosure of Jesus through operation of the Holy spirit. The truths concerning Jesus will be disclosed. And this is what he means. So Jesus continues to say, uh, 
Where am I here? Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and keep my. Okay. It is the loving of Jesus. By loving Jesus, what do you do? You keep his word. The father loves him. All this is, is a, re a restating of what he just said earlier. And what happens? The father and the son take up an abode within the person who believes in Jesus. And note, and then he kind of slights off because that's why I said it kind of get a little confusing. But let's just hold. Let's just hold. The whole point is disclosing of himself. How is he going to do that? He's going to do that through the indwelling of the father and the son. Why will the father and the son indwell that individual? Because you show your love for Jesus in keeping Jesus's commandments. And in the keeping of Jesus' commandments, he and the father come inside of you. And by being inside of you, and the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus has promised to come into you, he begins to show you the revelations, the truths concerning Jesus. And this is that disclosure. But before he says all of that, he just simply says, verse number 24, to the one who does not love Jesus, these are the people who don't keep his words. And though, and the words of Jesus are not some vain words of some religious person, the words of Jesus are the words that come from God, the father. They are literally the words of God himself. So he simply says, he just breaks down. You cannot be not obeying me. You cannot not obey me and say that you love me and in not loving me. You're not having the father, but he returns back to this point concerning what the thing that I spoke, these things I've spoken while abiding to you. Okay, let me slow it down. I'm, I'm fighting for the time, fighting against the time. These things I've spoken while abiding with you. Again, back to the sense of the disclosing. The disclosing is not a manifestation of Jesus's person in some physical form, but a manifestation of the truths that Jesus has taught them. Why? Verse 26, but the helper, the helper that I've told you about earlier, who will be in you. The help of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, what? He will teach you all things and bring them to your remembrance. So the disclosure that Jesus was talking about was not a manifestation of his physical person, but what? A fuller revelation of the truths concerning the person work of Jesus. And this will be done by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So the disclosure is what? Revelation of Jesus. And notice what he says. Not only will he give you greater revelation, but notice even particularly bring back to your remembrance all things that I spoke to you. This is the reason why the apostles were able to write the scriptures. Why? The Holy Spirit energized the Holy Spirit indwelling the apostles brought back to their remembrance the literal words of Jesus and they were able to write these words. And this is what John and this is what Jesus just said in the gospel of John. The Holy Spirit will bring back to your remembrance what the things I taught you and they were able then to write the scripture. Okay, let's come to an end. Peace, 27, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. 
Not as the world gives, world gives, do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you love me, you will have rejoiced because I go to the father for the father is greater than I. Let me deal with this because it can kind of get a little thick and I want to deal with it so I can come to the end. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. God's people, we have the peace of Jesus. We have the peace that gives comfort in a storm. We have the peace that no matter what is going on around us, that the winds may blow, the rains may fall, the thunder may lighten, that the political systems of the world might seem to be crumbling all around us. Changes are beginning to happen. People are calling men women and people are calling women men, transgenders, homosexual marriage. Everything is falling apart. The oppression of the saints. People are trying the world. The political system is trying to stifle prayer, prayer in the schools. They wanted even during the COVID, they shut down the church. All of these things are happening in the world and God's people see the world turning upside down. But notice what Jesus says, my peace I give, the peace that allowed Jesus to be in the very belly of a ship when a storm is raging and Jesus is sound asleep. My peace I give unto you, the peace of Jesus that cannot be disturbed, the peace of Jesus that cannot be moved, that does not allow things happening around us to disturb us or to move us from the comfort that I know who my God is and my God, Jesus, God the Father also and God the Holy Spirit has everything under control. No matter what is going on in this world, God God is in control and I will not be disturbed by what's going on. I will not be moved by what's going on because God is in control. Jesus says this peace, what peace? My peace. Enough preaching. I give unto you and this peace is not like the world peace. Why? Because with the world peace, the peace of the world is circumstantial. The peace of the world is happenstance. It's because something good is going on. You got peace. But when things bad go on, you lose your peace. God's people never lose their peace because we have the peace that is given by Jesus. And it is a peace that the world did not give. And the world, you know the rest of it, cannot take away. Now let's go back here. So he says, what? So therefore, don't let your heart be troubled. See how it works? He keeps talking about he's going away. I know you guys are going to be depressed, but I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And regardless to whatever happens in my departure, during the times of my departure, you will have peace. No matter what, you can be like Paul and Silas, who after being beaten and placed in prison, you can begin to sing songs to, and praise to God at the midnight hour. You can begin with bruises and afflictions. You can begin to praise God and thank God and glorify God for all that he is doing and will do. 
through all of your stripes and tribulation. Why? My peace I give unto you. When I look across that canopy of what's going on in the world, sometimes, well, no, no, I find it disgusting. But then once the Holy Spirit grabs me and settles my thought, I begin to experience the peace of Jesus because I know he is in control. And no matter what happens in this world, you can't take my peace away because I know who God is. I know who God is. But let me finish. Let me finish. Enough preaching. Where was I, saints? Where was I? Where was I? Where was I? So he said, that's the whole point. So don't let your heart be troubled and be fearful, no matter what is to come. Don't be afraid. So you heard that I said, what? Again, notice that context. That I go away. I keep telling you I'm going away. And you're depressed. It's, you should not be depressed. And, and this is the idea. You're being selfish right now. Because I'm saying I'm going away. Look at how, and, and as I'm speaking, all of this is involved. Look how the people treat me. They want to stone me. They want to kill me. They call me demon possessed. They don't have any respect for me whatsoever. And all the people want to do as a whole, as a whole, is simply to use me. They want me to heal them of their afflictions. But when it comes to me, go back to what John said. Yet, even though he had done so many miracles, they were not believing in him. They didn't believe in me. They didn't believe that I was God in the flesh. They didn't believe I was the Messiah, the Christ. They didn't take me for that, but they wanted to use me. But notice what he just says. What? I'm going away. You're sad. You're being selfish. Why? It's, it's good for me to go away, to leave all of this oppression, even though we understand that Jesus was doing the will of God. We understand that. But Jesus is trying to speak to them. You should be happy. Why? If you love me, what did he say? You have, you would have rejoiced because I go to the father. See it now? You, you, you're being a little selfish because you want me to stay here in this atmosphere of hatred and belief. But I'm telling you, I'm going to the father where none of that exists. You should be saying, I'm glad you're going, Jesus, because I'm sick and tired of the way these people are treating you. But instead of you feeling that way about me, you're being a little sad about it. He said that's the wrong way to feel. Because what? I'm going to the Father, and the Father is greater than I am. And now let me deal with that. And here's where some people want to say, and this is why I stopped with this point because instead of reading all of it. Some people want to say, you see, Jesus is not God because Jesus said out of his own mouth that God is greater than he is. Stay with the context. And I've already laid that scenario for you already in this teaching. What's been going on with me? Jesus constantly Jesus talking about the oneness of Jesus with the father. He's been saying that all the time. I and the father are one. They want to stone him because he makes statement that he is God. Jesus says he is the son of God. No doubt about he declared that he was God. But what? Look how they retreated him, how they treated him in their rejection. Look at the statement that Jesus made. He says, what? You, if you love me, you'd rejoice because I'm going to the Father. Why? Because people treat me so bad. Here, you're sad. You're sad wanting me to stay here in all of this when you should be happy that I'm finally escaping and getting away from all of this. I'm going to the father. He's greater than me. 
Now let's talk about that. So here's the context for the father who is in heaven ain't dealing with none of this. And that's what Jesus means by greater than the father is not dealing with this. The father is not persecuted. Why? The context context says I'm going there to a place where you should be happy where I'm going. Why? I won't have to deal with all of this anymore. Why? Cause where the father is, he ain't dealing with all of that. That's number one. The father is greater than I. And number two, the father is greater than I deals with, and I don't want to get into a long discussion, the role that the father plays in uh, salvation. That is God, God, the three persons of the Godhead, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit have, uh, have determined to play certain roles in the salvation of the elect. God, the father plays the role of father over all father over all things. Okay. He is the one who in a sense we say remains in heaven. God over all God, the son plays the role of the redeemer. It is God, the son, John one and one in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. The word was God. Verse number 14, the word was made flesh. God, the son takes the role of the one who is to be made human flesh to come as the redeemer, to die on the cross, rise from the dead and to pay the price for sin. This is the role that God, the son, the redeemer of mankind, God, the Holy spirit comes as Jesus has been talking about already to indwell those who believe in Jesus, to empower those who believe in Jesus and to give revelation of truths concerning the person of Jesus. So they all come to play a role as it comes together in the whole, in the whole of salvation. God, the father, father of all God, the son, one who dies for sin, God, the Holy spirit, one who indwells those who believe in Jesus. Okay. So in this way, in the role of salvation that God plays in salvation, he is greater than Jesus. This is not to say that ontologically, when we say ontologically, we means by virtue of the being of God, that the father is greater than the son. This is not the case. The father and the son and the Holy spirit are all co-equal in the Godhead. Okay. But the whole point that Jesus was just dealing with is what he's simply saying that you should be rejoicing that I'm going back to the father because we don't have to deal with all of these things. Now, 29. Now I've told you before it happens so that when it happens, you may believe I will not speak much more with you for the ruler of the world is coming and he has nothing in me, but so that we, so that the world may know that I love the father. I do exactly as the father commanded me get up. Let us go from here. All right. Let me talk about it piece by piece. So now, Jesus began to say, because notice the whole idea is his upcoming death, uh, resurrection and departure. Okay. Now I have told you before it happens, that is before he goes to the cross and then that resurrection. And of course he's been talking about what he will go to heaven. He's going to build the room. He's going to send 
uh, 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 send the Holy Spirit. He'll return back from the, all of these things. All right. So when you see these things, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, when it ha does happen, because I've already told you these things that you may believe that you may believe what? Notice it's clear. He doesn't even give a blank because he's been talking about it. That I am what? One with the father. I am in the father and the father is in me. Statements of the divine nature of Jesus, that Jesus is indeed God. So when you see these things begin to happen, the death of Jesus, resurrection, his appearances to him coming to you, only to you for a little while and all of the things that he has just said in chapter 14. When you see these things, it will be further proof, what? That he is who he says that he is, that you will believe that he is. Then he continues to say, because what? This is the final Passover of Jesus, and he only has a few more hours before he himself will be crucified, okay? So he says, what? I'm not going to speak with you much longer. Why? The ruler of the world is coming. He is speaking of Satan. So now what we see happening is Satan and all of his forces are now gathering for the participation of the crucifixion of Jesus. Satan was foolish to think that somehow in the crucifixion of Jesus, he had won. When in reality, the crucifixion of Jesus was the winning of Jesus. It was the proof that Jesus himself has won. That's why Jesus said at the cross, it is finished. And again, as Peter said, that's why Jesus went and spoke to those spirits who were one time disobedient during the days of Noah. Jesus went and proclaimed to them. The idea is I have won. You got it. But nevertheless, Jesus here is simply saying it is at the time of his crucifixion that all the powers of Satan and all of the angelic, that is the demonic angelic forces, will be gathered, gathered together against Jesus at this time to participate in his death. And notice, and this, this Satan and his cohorts have nothing to do with Jesus. But again, verse 31 I'm almost wore out, worn out, saints. 31 is so powerful. I'm tired, but man, I just hope I can do the diligence to this verse. Notice what he says. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, and I do exactly as the Father has commanded me. Get up. Let us go from here. Let me explain to you what my Lord just said. Remember, this is the Passover. Okay. Final Passover table. It is from the celebration of this Passover meal that Jesus will go into the garden of Gethsemane and it will be in the garden of Gethsemane. Remember, it is this time in the garden of Gethsemane when Jesus prays for three hours to the which Judas, Judas Iscariot, has the time to go to the chief priests and get them and bring back soldiers to show, to show these soldiers the secret, secret place where Jesus is praying with his disciples, right? So it is at that time when Judas does these things, Jesus is arrested. He'll be brought before mock trials of the Jewish people 
ultimately before the Gentiles, the Romans, and ultimately crucified. So Jesus, after my point, after the Passover meal, Jesus would go into the Garden of Gethsemane. It would be in the Garden of Gethsemane that the process, the time for his being preparing for him to be offered up on the cross, it will begin. That period will begin. Do you understand that? So what happens? Notice how Jesus prefaces this, this, this event. So that the world will know that I love the Father. In going to the cross, Jesus is voluntary going to the cross. He wants the world to know what I am doing. I am not only doing in obedience to God, but I am also doing for the love of God. Notice this. What does he say to his disciples? Get up. Let us go from here. Jesus knows exactly what is about to happen when he enters that God. There's only one thing that Jesus does not know. Oh, man, I don't want to get into it, guys. Please, please, please. The only thing that Jesus does not know is that would be a break in his human spirit and the spirit of God. I've already talked about that. I'm not going to get into it now. But nevertheless, concerning Jesus preparation for the cross, he is well aware of that. He knows he will be bruised. He knows that he will be wounded. He knows that he will be smitten across. He knows all of this. Okay. He knows he is about to suffer in a way no man has ever suffered in a way. He knows this thing. So what, what does Jesus say? Knowing that he is about to suffer the worst death a man could suffer. He looks at his disciples and said, get up. Let's go. Why is that so beautiful? Because it teaches us with full knowledge of what Jesus was about to experience. That is the cross. Remember, he's getting ready to go to the garden. What happens at the garden? Judas shows up. The soldier shows up, show up. Jesus is ultimately crucified because of those events. With full knowledge of those events. What does he say? Let us go from here, from this place. I can't stay here. I have to face the fate that the father has determined for me. And in facing that fate of crucifixion, you know what I am saying? Father, I love you. And father, I will obey you even to the giving of my life. What am I saying to you, saints? Don't you ever and I mean, like, like the rock would say, and I mean never. <laughs> and I mean never, ever let somebody tell you that Jesus did not want to die. That Jesus was afraid of dying. Jesus was intent on doing the Father's will. What does he say? I know that time is right upon me. I'm not going to stay here enjoying the Passover celebration with you guys. I love the father and I will obey the father. So guess what? Get up all of y'all. Let's go. It's time to do the father's will. It is time for me to die. All right, guys, thank you for joining me in that extended teaching in the gospel of John. What do we see? I've been so long. So let's make this overview very brief. Chapter 14, 
we saw the atmosphere with the disciples. They were sad because Jesus was saying, what? Soon I'm going to leave you guys. But what did Jesus say? I'm going to leave you guys. But when I do leave, I'm not leaving in vain. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I prepare a place for you, the rapture of the church, I will come back and receive you for myself. But in the interim, while I'm gone, I'm not going to leave you as orphans in this world. I'm going to send to you guys the Holy Spirit. And by the virtue of the Holy Spirit being with you, he will make you aware of my presence with you. So while I'm gone, remember, obey me. If you love me, keep my commandments. And the ones who are trying to keep my commandments, that's okay. I know you fail. Without me, you can do nothing. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. He will enable you to keep my commandments. He will bring to your remembrance all the things that I have taught you. He will make my presence known with you. And by the Holy Spirit's coming to dwell inside of you, you keeping of my commandments, I, the Father, and the Spirit will dwell inside of you. And by our indwelling inside of you, I will disclose myself. I will then, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, give special revelation to the believers. I will make you understand those things that I have previously taught you that you didn't even understand. And then again, once again, I'm getting ready to leave you guys, but don't be afraid and don't be upset. And something's wrong with you. You should be happy that I'm going away. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. I don't have to deal with all of this hatred against me by these unbelievers. For in heaven, where the Father is, none of that existed. He is the Father of glory. He is even greater than I am in the role of salvation. So therefore, as I depart from you and I give you the Holy Spirit, be at peace. Because what? My peace even though there will be times of trouble, even though you may have times when you don't have, you don't know what to do. Do not let the things in this world disturb you because the spirit that I give that indwells you, I also give you my peace, my peace that is different from the world. The world doesn't give it. The world doesn't take away. And so therefore you can be comforted in my absence from you. So now I got to get ready to do what the father sent me into the world to do. That is to die on the cross. And by this, I'm going to prove I love my father. Then I am obedient to my father. Get up. Let us go. The time for the cross is near at hand. All right, guys. Thanks for joining me in John chapter 14. Join me once again in John chapter 15 as Jesus continues teaching his disciples somewhere, whether in the upper room or maybe on the way to the garden. Somewhere or in between that, Jesus continues his teachings, John chapters 15 through 17 of his disciples. All right, guys, if you can say that you have been benefited from these teachings uh, and if the Lord has touched your heart, Will you support me in this ministry? There is a link in the description that you can use to support this ministry that will allow me to continue to bring you these teachings. And I like to bring it to you saints 
word for word in context. So I pray that God touch your heart, that you would support this ministry and spread the word. Tell others about these teachings, not for the glory of me. Bump that, bump that, that's not important, but for the understanding of the word of God, the teachings of the scripture, the true doctrine of God's word so that all God's people can be edified. But anyway, but there's a link, share with me, Help me to keep bringing these messages, the teachings, uh, to to on the on the YouTube channel and everywhere else. Okay, and to those of you who have helped me, I have not forgotten about you. Let me say again, thank you for your support and even continued support. All right, God bless you all. See you next time.